This week, the Security Weekly crew interviews Micah Hoffman. Security news this week will include John McAfee for president and a whole bunch more. So stay tuned. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, the show where exploits run wild. Packets aren't the only things getting sniffed. Systems aren't the only things getting penetrated. Functions are the only things getting wrapped. Bits aren't the only things getting banged. And the cocktails, they flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. The SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security training, certification, and research. Visit SANS.org to explore the full curriculum and latest training offerings. Mm. Looking for a career change? Tenable Network Security is hiring. Everything from programmers to researchers. Check out all of the available positions at securityweekly.com forward slash tenable jobs. Pony Express. Check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, the Pone Phone, and the Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Onapsys, the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business-critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsys.com. Hey! Welcome to Security Weekly. I'm your host, Paul Asadorian. This is episode 434 for September 10th. 2015 and it's the official start of football season and if you're here in New England you probably root for this team if you're anywhere else in in uh, the United States or the world you probably hate the Patriots and me right now and um, I don't care so <laughs> a couple of quick and oh let me introduce everyone first who is here Jack is here in studio look at this I am what hey, hey. Mix up dr- what are you drinking is that straight Jameson I have Jameson? no idea it's, no it's whatever you're drinking and it's a I different believe, color uh, from what I, I'm I drinking. Eat, well, it's because I, I kind of just. You're, you're uh, old if and you were confused to look this, right now, If Jack. you were to look this up <laughs> in a cocktail book, it would have the, it would be titled The Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> That's every cocktail I make. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I was trying to get creative with your neighbor, and it's really hard to get creative with your neighbor. So. Yes. Uh, there's some good cocktails for it, but I can't I like remember to get off the top of. creative with my neighbor sometimes. Get creative with. Jennifer, as Americans would call it, but having been Jennifer, it's Jennifer, having been introduced to it over there where it comes from. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I don't yeah, know I'm, drinking. I'm drinking booze. It's booze. As, as my friend Mike Richardson from Frankie's uh, told me years ago, the great thing about experimenting with booze is even if it doesn't taste good, it's still booze. Mm-hmm. This is true. Speaking of booze, we get a bunch of people on Skype. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> 
We had segues. I said booze, of... not boobs. I said booze. The master of the segway <laughs> at work. <laughs> you like that, huh? Is Paul already drunk? No, I, I I'm know. not. It seems like he got an early start I'm today. just excited. So, <laughs> starting from left to right on our Brady Bunch, Mr. Carlos Perez is here with us from Puerto Rico. Welcome, Carlos. Hey, Paul. From North Carolina, joining us on the lines via Skype, Mr. Joff Thayer. G'day, Paul. I'm North Carolina. Carolinian. Through and through. How are you? You sound it, Joff. You sound it. I do, don't I? From the Black Hills of South Dakota, Mr. John Strand is here. Is that your, like, South Dakota, like, growl? Is that how you yeah, that's me. I'm mad about I'm mad about my connection. It seems to be getting all kinds of wonky, but it seems straight now. But I'm happy to be here, everybody. Excellent, Mr. Michael Sant'Arcangelo is here with us from South uh, Carolina. You, you got it right. I did. Um, I got oof. the state right. I got your name right. Yeah, I told you. I'm all on right, it's point. a wrap, everybody. Have a good day. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's graduating. <laughs> that confirms he's drunk. Uh, I'm not drunk yet. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. Yes. That may be our problem. I've got a couple of quick Wait, announcements. Time is kick off eight thirty. You can, uh, yeah, that's when I'm I'm out. <laughs> Actually, I have to do the Stogie Geek show, so I TiVo'd the game, but uh, I, I'm probably going to know the outcome before I get a chance to watch it. So, which if they win, it's hopefully it's. I like to watch it if they win. If they don't win, it's. I don't like to go back and watch it because it just makes me an angry Patriots fan. Because we're just. Because yeah. there's a shortage of those. Yes, exactly. Yeah, isn't, isn't that like by definition? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so make sure you go Damn to it, shop. Caught again. Uh, shop.securityweekly.com. Get your Hack Naked t-shirts. For a limited time only, use the discount code HackNakedSummer and get 50% off your order. That's right, 50% off when you use the discount code HackNakedSummer. It's a summer blowout sale, and it ends on September 23rd, 2015, which is the first official day of fall. Tenable is looking for a technical director work-from-home position in the U.S. Check out the link in the show notes. It's not what you think. It's more of like an evangelist-style position that we talked about last week, Jack. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it is... Um, Technical skills, the ability to talk to people, some conference to speaking, con- travel. Conference speaking, yeah. a bit of travel, the ability to create content in a variety of forms, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, some writing skills would be necessary, presenting skills right. would be necessary. The ability to uh, translate. I mean, it, there's several of us in the company that have roles that sort of do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you've done it. I do some of it. Marcus does some space. But this is a, a dedicated position, and, and a lot of it really is well, that. Well, because the three of us, we're, we're doing different things right, now. Understanding yeah. what it is that we do right. at a technical level, but being able to translate that into the bigger picture and not just about – it's not about entirely about selling product, but it's mm-hmm. about, you know, it's it's what, like you said, all of us do in, in bits and pieces as, right. as we're all headed in different directions. And, um, you know, th- there – I do want to point out one thing for the right candidates. It is your classic job description. You do not have to have a CISSP. You do not have to have a bachelor's degree. You do not have to have 12 years of experience with Windows 10 or whatever else it says there. Um, 12 years with Windows 10. No, I just, but but there are some classic you know, HR sort of language in mm-hmm. that as far as requirements. And there's stuff they'd like. But if you have relevant skills and experience, 
don't get hung out on every bullet point on that listing. I want to make that clear that the right person probably will not have all of those bullet points, but right. will have other things that make them uh, more valuable than filling in the checklist. Does it have, like, if you're a 12 on the BSO meter, you're hired? No, it's not a oh. sales job. <laughs> no, again. It's not a sales <laughs> job. Oh, it sounds <laughs> a little bit like <laughs> a sales job. Me. Sorry. Yeah. A, so Jeez. After that nice sales. setup, you just yeah. ruined it. I know. Oh, so hold on. Sorry. I got one more announcement. Um, uh, save the date. October 16th, 2015 will be Security Weekly's 10-year anniversary show. Everyone is welcome. Come here to the studio. Securityweekly.com forward slash attend. Already a few people said they, they are, they're coming here. We're going to have a party. There's going to be food. There's going to be drink. We're going to pour beer in some laptops, and we're going to have a good time. And all of the <gasps> proceeds will go to EFF. We'll encourage people to donate for that entire day to I, the EFF. I'm bringing my burner laptop that day. Yes. Yeah. And we're yes. Yes, you are, Josh. I'm actually going <laughs> to. Josh, I'll bring the burner laptop, your, okay? As opposed to your drinker laptop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And, and the crappy seen. thing is about whenever he, he completely drowned his laptop last time is I had just bought a notebook computer uh, just for tax reasons, just kind of burning through some cash. And he's like, ah, I poured beer in my laptop and I went out and bought a new one. I'm like, oh, God, I just bought one. So we're prepping this time. So we're, you guys like light all, you guys like light all your show. you light all your cigars with hundred dollar bills and stuff, right? You just have cash to burn. Oh yeah, sure. Can you buy me <laughs> a new laptop just to have sure. cash to burn? I wish I had cash to burn. I Carrie's use a lighter. You taught them that. <laughs> uh, no, bringing, I I'm learned bringing... it from you. Paul. <laughs> I learned it from I'm, you. I'm bringing like a six year old Asus. Uh, aspire like three hundred dollar student laptop. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna bring. Okay. <laughs> we we have a challenge then. Who can find and bring to the tenth anniversary show the most decrepit, terrifying notebook computer? So the challenge is on. All right. Bring Let's it. Do it. And we're gonna pour. Oh wait, wait. That in. means I I've got to show up in this. Hey, hey, John. I got to show up then. And we um, we need some cheap beer. Yeah. We don't want to put expensive beer in it. We, Job, some, we need to get some. Job, like, I, I, I'm showing up, so it's not even an option for you, Jot. So yeah, you have to come. There's oh, no, okay. there's no way. So myself and Mr. Strand in studio, special time. It's gonna be special, all right. Uh, speaking of special, Michael Hoffman is here with us, working in information technology field since 1998, supporting federal government, commercial, and internal customers in their searches to discover and quantify information security weaknesses. He leverages uh, years of experience in real-world penetration testing incident response and holds certifications uh, from SANS, including uh, the GPEN certification, as well as CISSP even, and is a SANS-certified instructor. He's also active in the Nova Hackers community, writes Recon NG modules, and enjoys tackling issues with Python, which is much better than Ruby. When not working or teaching... Uh, Mike can be found hiking and backpacking on the Appalachian Trail or in many trailer parks. I mean, trails in Maryland. <laughs> Catch him on Twitter Damn. at WebBreacher. Micah, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I, I was just kidding. You don't spend time in trailer parks. Oh, I mean, if you do, if that's your thing, that's totally fine. 
Like, not that you're judging me or anything. No, I, I'm not. I'm not one to judge. I'm not one to judge. Nice. So, if the minute, sign on I, the Appalachian Trail says "Family uh, Campground," just steer away. <laughs> so, I got a question. I got a question though about the whole, uh, you know, the white trash thing. So, there's a lot of like where I live, we have a lot of people in RV parks with like million dollar RVs. So, when people roll into those campgrounds, is that like white trash cosplay, or what, does that qualify? Ah. <laughs> uh, um, so, <laughs> so Mike, how did you get your start in information security? Hey, glad you asked, Paul. Um, so I, I actually have a kind of a, a warped, this is my third career. Um, I started out with a degree in psychology and, uh, decided I didn't like that and then tried to become a doctor, didn't get in. And, uh, then I dropped back to something that I already been tinkered. I'd always been tinkering with, and that was, you know, PCs and stuff. Um, worked my way up doing help desk, Mac, PC, Windows Server, Linux, sysadmin stuff. And then at, there was a certain time in my career where I had a choice between going like the programming route or going into security. And I always, uh, always liked the security part. So uh, I, uh, I started going that way and never looked back. I love it. Cool. Um, so how did you come to fall in love with web application security? So web applications, it's actually kind of neat because a while ago, I mean, you know, I was, I've been around since the dawn of the internet and, you know, web pages used to be so simple. They used to be just, you know, just HTML, you have to write them by hand, um, but they've gotten a lot more complicated over the years and I love the conflict and complexity. I love all the modules that plug in to them. I love all discovering all the functionality and features. And I love that I can do it just from a web browser. I don't need a whole bunch of tools. Um, I, I was listening to one of your other shows, and you talked about you know the the Firefox plugins that somebody uh, might be using. There's a ton of these modules that are out there that really augment the normal tools that we use every day to do our business. So um, it's just a, a an interesting puzzle to me. <coughs> Mike, how how do you see this? Is kind of a like a in depth question, just because it's one of the things that I've been thinking about lately. But how is the move to cloud-based technologies and software as a service, how is that changing the web application landscape? I feel like uh, we're going to see this transition from people writing and maintaining their own web apps to just using someone else's. So how is that changing things in web application security? It's actually kind of neat because if you think about it, there have always been companies and people that have outsourced their web work uh, or they're actually their application design to other companies and outsourced the hosting as well. Um, what we're seeing now is just it's a much, much easier to do with all of these software as a service systems, IAS. How do you pronounce IAS? The infrastructure is, is that IAS? IAS? I think it's IAS. 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 That's the IAS. So, I mean, we've all, uh, there always have been people that have outsourced things. Um, the software as a service is really just an extension of my, my systems up to the Internet, and somebody else maintains the code and maintains the system. So um, the downside to that is that many times when people use cloud-based systems, uh, use software as a service, they don't feel like they have ownership to perform security testing on the application. Mm. Um, and they're, they're really sometimes unclear about who owns that data, even though it might be their customers putting it in there, it might be um, their customers that are using it and they're using it internally for something else. 
Um, the, those kind of questions, if they're not hammered out before you sign up for that software as a service, um, can really get you into trouble because you might not feel you have a right to, to test the systems to find out if they are secure or not. I also feel like it's going to be a long time before people don't have their own applications. And I think most of the applications that people are maintaining at least have some kind of web component. What's your feeling about how long it's going to take before we make that full push to putting you know everything in the cloud? I feel like financials, for example, are going to have their own applications because they want to own everything. And even if they wanted to make that move, it's going to be years and years and years before they're able to do that. Well, there are actually applications out there that, that are SaaS implementations of tax software for corporations, for uh, everything, anything that you can think of, accounting, finance. Um, a lot of small, medium-sized businesses outsource that stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like on the small, medium-sized business, yeah. it's going to happen a lot quicker because they can move and be a little more agile. But if you've got a company that's been in business for 50 years and they've got all the software, it's a long time for them to move, right? It is, and a lot of times those companies have their own internal developers that have been developing on this cold fusion system for, oh, for many God. years, or Lotus Notes. Oh, God, I yeah. used to be a Lotus oh, Notes God. developer. I know, I know. Uh. So, so, I mean, they have these legacy systems, and, and I think one of the barriers is not necessarily the ease at which things are out in the cloud, but the cost of transitioning all that legacy data that might be in Lotus Notes or might be in an old system how to get that up to a place where somebody else uh, maintains it. Right, um, right. And there's also the scare factor too, right? I mean, all your financial data in the cloud, what does that even mean? Yeah, I still think today we have got a, a still an issue of trust when it comes to cloud and, and SaaS applications, for sure. Definitely. So, Micah? Oh, go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of riffing on the idea of cloud and SaaS applications, do you see some type of collision with SaaS vendors kind of starting to take the Oracle approach about security researchers and finding vulnerabilities in their products? Uh, you know what? A lot of them have been doing that. I know, uh, I mean, I'm not going to call them out here, uh, but but there are several systems that, that my teams have tested in the past that just do a tremendous job. In fact, the, the hack, they have, uh, several of them have hackathons where they hack their own stuff and provide their, their developers the tools, the opportunity, and even the motivation with uh, financial incentive to take some time off on this weekend to come in after work or, you know, come in and, and hack their own stuff. So I think the, the challenge there is even if I tell you that I hack my own stuff and I've certified it, are you going to believe that? Are you going to trust me? And that trust is really what's what one of the big barriers is to moving to the cloud. Yeah, I, I, I feel like bug bounty programs have been pretty successful and I think are continuing to morph and become more successful for organizations, uh, especially ones that have these big applications in the cloud. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've seen uh, recently uh, the bug crowd team, they, Jay Cran and, and uh, even... Um, well, some other big hitters in the in the industry uh, using bug bounty uh, bug bounties to not only make money, make names for themselves, but also to help out the community and to do some really good work. Um, a lot of uh, getting back to the small to medium sized businesses. Uh, if you go to Bug Crowd, you can see a lot of the the sites that are in there aren't necessarily the Pinterests and the Googles, mm -hmm. but but there are the smaller companies that maybe can't pay fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for a full blown pen test but it'll pay $300 for you to find cross-site scripting. Right, right. You know, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, why are the, <coughs> it seems to me that still from what I hear and from what I've observed, uh, the mobile applications that are using an API to the web application 
seems to be the low-hanging fruit where a lot of these bugs are hiding. Why is that the case? Well, actually, we were just pen testing an application earlier this week, and we found something very, very similar to that, is that in the older, or several years ago, we used to have objects like fla uh, Shockwave Flash, um, Java applications, and all of these kind of front ends with the nice GUIs and, and the, the pretty whiz-bang widgets in there that also would just communicate to APIs in the background. Um, and it's that, that facade, I guess, that, hey, you, somebody would have to go through our application mm. to get to that back end without realizing that I can take that off, use Burp, use Zap, or something like that, and hit those APIs. So part of it's security awareness, and part of it is a false sense of security in that front-end system. I gotcha. I gotcha. <coughs> yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Um, what? So what kind of tools, so you mentioned Burp and Zap, what kind of tools are good at looking at, you know, these JSON and REST APIs that are exist in all of these web applications? Well, a lot of the vulnerability scanners on <coughs> kind of in a crawl, walk, run methodology. Uh, whenever I'm doing a web app pen test, I'm always looking at things through Burp Suite or looking through Zap. And, oh, excuse me. Um, a lot of uh, those tools in and of themselves really have gotten much better at being an all-in-one. So both Zap and Burp have passive scanners that will say, hey, there's some stuff here. They'll tag the MIME types as, as JSON or XML, which will mm -hmm. flag it for the researcher. And then you have all the automated tools, everything from Nessus and Security Center to Acunetics, NetSparker, and, and the dedicated application uh, testing tools. All of those will, will find and and tag them, but what I really find is that it's up to the pen tester, the, the security researcher, to be able to understand what that really is. Because if you find slash API and you don't understand how to submit the post or you don't understand what it's asking for, you'll miss something. <coughs> yeah, it takes the, a human to go read the API documentation and develop some kind of fuzzing logic or custom code, I think, to fully test these uh, APIs within these web applications. Many times you can do, uh, I mean, there are a lot of web application or web services or SOAP um, uh, fuzzers out there. You can also, I mean, instead of developing your own things in Python or Ruby, um, you can actually use Burp and Zap and use their force and your, use their uh, their fuzzing techniques. Um, they're very advanced. Yeah, I've seen, I read, we covered an article a long time ago about extensions to Burp to do, <coughs> excuse me, just that for these APIs. Yeah, and that's the other thing that they're doing. So not only is Burp Suite and Zap doing a, a tremendous job at increasing their functionalities, but they allow the, uh, the community to write modules for them. Um, and some of those modules are just spectacular, extending the, the active scanning techniques or, or allowing different types of encoding or decoding or viewing data in different ways. So, <coughs> so Mike, when you teach the SANS web app pen testing class, do you find it's mostly developers that are taking it? Or is it security professionals that, that want to gain a little more knowledge about web apps? Or like, what's the split there? It really depends on the area. I taught a class out in um, in California recently, and we didn't have any pen testers in the in the group. It was all developers because in that region where I was teaching, it was it, it was a very big software development area. 
Um, but in this area, here in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, I, I get a lot of everything from CISSPs. Mm -hmm. uh, I get I get managers that are you know that maybe manage a team of of system testers. Um, and they want to know more about it to people that have been doing pen testing for their entire lives and maybe are <coughs> just migrating into the web. I find that there's, um, <coughs> I think, much in the way of similar to like IoT and firmware based stuff that even still today that the overall skill level of security professionals who are charged with defending an organization, the skill level and awareness of web applications, I still think is pretty low. I think we've. Most people understand cross-site scripting and SQL injection, but there's so much more to it, and there's so many different attack vectors that are new that are still coming out to this day. I still feel like there's a skills gap there. Would you would you say that's pretty accurate? Oh, absolutely. And with the, uh, I mean, you mentioned the IoT. Um, <coughs> I mean, there's web applications, web front ends on everything from configuring your, your thermostat to, I mean, refrigerators and toasters. Everything has a web interface, and yet, they're not all the same, you know. It's not all Apache front right, end right. with a Tomcat backend or and some MySQL there. Th they are different, and it's those triggers that in the 542 class. That's what I try to get across to the students. It's not just, hey, this is cross-site scripting and SQL injection, but when you're doing an assessment um, and you see this type of data, that, like you brought up, the JSON or XML, you might think, hey, can I access this, this area directly? Because there is no authentication that I, that's being um, managed. So um, I try to give those triggers. And there's a, I'm teaching a 542 in November at Hackfest DC. Um, I'm sorry, in Alexandria, Virginia. And um, in that class, we're, we're definitely going to go over it. The course has evolved uh, very uh, very much since well, that's it's good words. Um, the, the, <laughs> course, the course has evolved a lot in the last year, and uh, it's just great to teach and and to meet the students. <coughs> no, that's that's really cool. Um, so, what are some of the newer attacks uh, that you've added into the course? Well, I I'm the core one of the course instructors. Um, Seth Meisner and Eric Conrad are the uh, the authors of the course, um, and they've done uh, some things, everything from including Heartbleed and Shellshock to um, adding some other things that are, are more nuanced. Uh, the course itself uh, has evolved and become a lot more hands-on. Uh, they have a very successful new course, uh, Sec 511, uh, which is 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 a really it's a really well-developed course, and so they're rolling that stuff, uh, some of those same techniques, enhanced labs into the 542 class. What, what, uh, other than taking the class, what advice do you have for folks who are in charge of security for an organization? They don't have a lot of hands-on experience testing web apps, and I feel like I want to get these people up to speed a lot more on web applications because... You know, I've I've had some projects where I've had to use a lot of different web app testing tools. Some make it super easy. Other ones, if you haven't done a manual penetration test, you're going to be pretty lost when you configure them, right? So, yeah. like, what what can we what can we do to 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 get people to uh, get up to speed? I mean, is it just a matter of doing a manual pen, doing some manual pen test on some test apps? Well, and practice is is definitely a part of it, Paul. The the other part of it is understanding what the tools are. I mean. 
if you look at Kali Linux right now, or you look at any of the other pen test distributions, there's so many tools nowadays that you can get really bogged down in, in, in them individually. Um, what we generally teach is to follow a methodology. In the course, we teach a methodology, but if you can't take the course for one reason or another, um, the OWASP testing guide <coughs> on OWASP.org is a really good, very detailed uh, testing guide, step by step, here's how to test for this, here's how to test for this, uh, with screenshots and, and actual exploitation. Um, that's good. The PTES, P-T-E-S, mm -hmm. is also another good uh, guide to, to go by. And then there's also everything from capture the flags, like at DerbyCon or ShmooCon, to online online uh, websites that you can go to, to things like Mutiliday and um, damn vulnerable web apps that you can download on VMs. <coughs> Um, did the rest of the cast and crew have questions for Micah web application related? Joff, John, you guys do a lot of web app testing. What are your, uh, what are your favorite, uh, what are your favorite third party burp plugins? My favorite ones? Good question, John. I actually on webbreacher.com, my website, um, i I actually had that same question by another, uh, another person. So I made my list of, I, I don't know if it's a top 10 list, but I made a list of, of them, and I usually have two different types of plugins. I have those that I use when I'm surfing uh, the web as myself trying to just use the web as an internet user, and so there's like things like Adblocker and Ghostery and, and, and those types of things, and then when I'm web pen testing, um, I use a different set, and all of the ones that I recommend are up there along with links on the website. Um, but it's things, I mean, just to get into it, it's, it's things like Foxy Proxy, which allows me to quickly shift between multiple backend proxies that I'm using if, I'm, if I have Burp and Zap up together, because they do work a little differently. I can easily route my traffic. Um, and then there's other things to allow me to easy see JSON or other stuff. I, I have one question. Um, get, given that uh, a tremendous amount of... Um, things on the uh, web are moving mobile and moving to um, JSON RESTful APIs. Uh, do, you, do you feel like this, the tool sets are sophisticated enough for us from a pen testing perspective to, to handle that situation? So I'll start off with that. I haven't done too much mobile testing. I have done a little bit. I find where the, the issue is, is, I mean, if, if you have um, uh, web calls that some mobile application is doing, there are ways that with Burp and Zap or other tools like Fiddler and such, you can still intercept that. You can set up those to listen on a, on a common network port and then just route your traffic to that. Um, the challenge is more at the network level with some sites doing certificate pinning, some sites um, not using and abiding by the system level proxy settings for the, the device um, and just go making a direct socket out to a, um, a site. So we have to get a little bit more crafty when um, when we're trying to do mobile testing, if the web applications are not designed to use like the system level proxy, but if it is designed to use the the system proxy, we can send that right to Burp or Zap and treat it just like any other web application. Um, I got another question about Burp and Zap. You've mentioned both of them. There's a lot of people that don't know quite where the delineation is between the two because they're very very similar. In what situations would you recommend Burp? If what recommend what situations would you recommend Zap and Roughly, how functional would you say Zap is compared to Burp? An excellent question, John. And up until recently, I would have said, you know, my my first choice is always go to Burp. Um, 
and, but there have been some changes recently. Um, Burp Suite Pro is usually what we talk about. If we're in the pen testing world um, and we do web pen tests, usually we'll spend the $300 or so to get Burp Pro. It's fully featured. It has a lot of nice, nice things there. Burp Free um, has several features that web pen testers use all the time that are a little bit throttled or disabled. Um, and some of those features, uh, if you need to do it and you don't have the funds to go get Burt Pro, um, that's where Zap comes into play. For instance, Burt Pro has a wonderful fuzzer. It's called Intruder. And there's so many different flexible amounts of, uh, so many, it's very flexible when dealing with payloads and payload creation and just sending thousands of requests to a web server. Um, and it's great. In the free version of it, uh, that's throttled. So the more requests you send, the slower it gets. And that's just not going to play. In the new version of Zap, version 2.4 and above, um, they've actually done a really good job of, of mimicking the functionality <coughs> of Burp Pro for free. So um, if you can't afford Burp Pro, I say try out Zap. Um, and see what that gets you and see if you, you like that. It is a little different interface though, and some people just prefer Burp, Burp Free or Burp Pro to the Zap. Micah, you've been giving a talk recently at some conferences called Running Away from Security, Web App Vulnerabilities in OS in Collide. What is, what is that about? Uh, so actually, it, it's a kind of a fun thing I've been getting into lately. It's, it's uh, open source intelligence gathering. It's, Taking somebody's name and, and maybe a phone number or something. Bless you. <coughs> Thank you. You gonna be okay? Yeah, I am okay. <coughs> um, sorry, allergies. No, no problem. Gentlemen, I have, I have Elvis there for a second. Uh, <laughs> do you feel that we are reaching that point that many sysadmins already felt where a pen tester cannot be a jack of all trades, and we're moving? further and further uh, along the rabbit hole where people actually have to be specialized, uh, where we're going to have specialized pen, pen testers in web applications and not only in all web applications, but in special subsets of those. So I think if you've been doing penetration testing for a while, you'll recognize that there's several areas within pen testing that, that more senior people gravitate towards, whether it's web app testing or Wi-Fi or system or network penetration or mobile. Um, people gravitate towards different areas. And then within those areas, there's sub-disciplines. Um, I think there's always going to be a need and desire for that, that uh, jack-of-all-trades pen tester. Um, but there's also those people that can go deeper and discover more or just, you know, they can see the matrix when they're doing web app hacking. And, and um, so I, I think the world needs both people because if you have somebody that, that can do web app hacking and they get some SQL injection there and they only know web app hacking and they get to compromise, you know, they, they are, they're able to do things on the underlying operating system. You want somebody in general that, that's comfortable exploiting Windows or Linux or whatever the underlying operating system is. And, and sometimes web app pen testers that just do web apps, they focus on the application layer but don't really penetrate with their knowledge um, down to the operating system level. So I think the world needs both, and, um, and it's fine to have them. Now, the, the way I see it is that right now we have uh, many pen test companies out there just simply go and just put one single pen tester on a very large engagement and uh, many customers do not know that they may have different requirements and um, 
when the Pent, uh, when the pen test company or the security company comes to you and says we're going to be putting two pen testers to work on this engagement or three different pen testers we kind of need to kind of get the word out and educate some of our customers like hey you have a very large surface here you have a lot of different uh, services it you will be better served if we're actually providing you specialists for the different phases of this pen test where they can work together to actually provide the best value to you. I find that many times, um, just like with any other consultant services, people just look at the price and don't look what they're actually getting. Absolutely, and and that's where being a good customer comes into play, an educated customer. Um, if you if you're sick, you can go to a general practitioner who can can diagnose you to a certain level. But if you're really sick or you you need a specialist, um, that's where you go to a specialist. And so, same thing in in pen testing. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Is is if you have a large web application presence and and that's really what you're expecting somebody to test. You want somebody that knows web apps or whatever the technology is um, so that you can get the most for your money. There's a joke in there about a proctologist, but. There is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite coming together for me. <laughs> so uh, talk about web apps in OSN. Yeah, so so one of the <clears throat> things that I did, you know, as a pen tester, uh, there's, uh, I bet you all have done this too, you know. You can't shut it off sometimes. You're just somewhere and you see uh, whether it's an ATM with one of those Windows uh, crash uh, core dump screens, blue screens of death, or or, or something, you see something, you're like, I, you know what? I, I bet that's exploitable. I bet that's bad. Um, one day, one of my friends and I went out for a bike ride, and is your and friend's name Bob? I know Bob. Yes, <laughs> there's a little Bob in all of us. There's a little Bob. In all. <laughs> um, my friend, we went out for a ride on a bike, and then uh, afterwards, she sent me a link to Strava which is a website for exercise tracking. And uh, it had a little GPS route of where we went, and it was really cool. But when I moused over the link, I noticed it was just an integer. It was like Strava slash activities, Strava.com slash activities. It just had a number there. And I was like, wait a second. Uh, let me look at this. So I, I just, you know, decremented that number, and I got somebody else's route. <laughs> uh, no, 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 that can't happen anymore. Direct object reference is dead. Even I know. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it's so easy. I did this. Uh, well, a friend of mine did this. Bob. Uh, Bob. Yeah. We call him Bob. Bob. So I know this guy named Bob who did this. He took his car into a dealership to get a recall fix, <laughs> and the guy at the dealership handed uh, Bob a, a slip of paper that said, hey, you can check on your status of your car online. I was like, I mean, Bob <laughs> was like, that's really cool. And it was just a number. So Bob went online to the dealership, <laughs> typed in the five-digit number, and pulled up his car. His VIN, his name, his address, what things were being done, the prices of that. And so Bob decremented that number and incremented it and got other people's things. Um, so I started thinking, I mean, Bob started thinking about all of the different things that could be done with this and how easy it is to do these things. Um, and so th that was one of the things that got, got me kind of started in uh, doing open source intelligence gathering. People are using services now on the internet that tell you exactly where they are or where they run or where they walk or bike ride on a regular basis. And if I could pull up that data or somebody else could profile them, then that sets them up for uh, you know, being attacked as they run around a lake or somebody robbing their house. And in fact, back when I made this, this talk, 
called Running Away from Security. I made this talk back in February, and I, I postulated, you know, somebody could get attacked or, or a theft and all. And then um, later on in the year, probably around May, June, there were actually... Uh, there was this episode of CSI Cyber. Yes. You oh, know, wait, oh, no. Mr. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, much better yeah. reference, yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean there there were there were uh, things in the news that said, hey, the uh, you know I will I people were looking at Strava.com, finding out where people were bicycling around, and then they would wait for them to come back and steal their bicycle, or they would break into their car because they knew that every day at this time this person was at this location. Um, hmm. So I started tying that all together. What can we grab from the web? How can we put the little pieces of people's lives together? Um, to show a compelling picture of, of the insecurity that we now have. That's what it's about. Yeah, your, your, your friend Bob's story about the, the car uh, system, um, I actually... It's home for you. Well, previously, I was you used to live there. In, in the car business, I actually had a, a very similar conversation. Unfortunately, it was with a bunch of dealership system administrators and uh, a lot of them, as well as vendors in the room, didn't understand the value of it. And so uh, this time it wasn't me who started with the bad thing. And w what they suggested was, well, if I have that information, I can call the customer at the end of the day and say, I'm sorry, sir, we screwed up your bill. <coughs> and um, could you swing back into the, uh, the dealership with your credit card? And we just we just need to correct the bill. And I said, no, you're, you're not thinking well, because what I would do if I were a bad person, which I'm not, is I would use that information, call them up and say, I'm really sorry to bother you, sir or ma'am. We made a mistake. Again? We made a mistake with yeah. your credit card and we actually overcharged you. So I would like to refund you $17.18 or some small amount, but make it clear that it's to refund the money and ask them to drive back in. And since you know they live 80 miles away and it was a pain in the ass to get there, they're like, oh my God, I don't care for that much money. It's like, well, normally we don't do it over the phone because of security, but if you're comfortable giving me your credit card number over the phone, I'll process your credit right now. Also, yeah. they don't have <coughs> a, and also they and don't once have you a, build these scenarios. They don't have a car, though, at that point. Right, well, no, no I mean, so because, <laughs> that, because that information never yeah. expires in <laughs> right. a timely manner yeah. either. And so you tell these things, and, and, and I, I know the pain oh, of I trying see. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the pain of trying to get back. these people yeah. to understand how you could abuse that because you've got to come up with a story. But that one is, is painfully close to past um, experiences of mine. And you find them, and you, you, you just slap your forehead, and then you try to get somebody else <laughs> to understand yeah. why Stopping it is you're up and down. Why, why are you jumping up and down and screaming? It's. it's only, like you said, it's only their name, your make, model, of vehicle that they drive, address, phone number, email address, you know, VIN of the car, license plate number, repair history, uh, mm. <laughs> right? You know, it, um, so you can make some assumptions based on what kind of car they drive and what their address is. And mm -hmm. uh, just yeah, yeah. And if you don't tell a story, they just don't get why. Yep. This is. Yeah. It's just a website. Well, and don't you find that? I mean, for for you all have been in security for many years too. Don't you find that our job is now more to convince people, to show them the goods, and to make them care about things? I mean, you know, the, if you say, yeah, "Hey, absolutely, you're, yeah, you're vulnerable to to this vulnerability," they're like, "Meh." 
you got a patch. Meh. Hey, I have all of your HR data because you didn't patch that. Now they care. Um, that's that's really what I find myself doing a lot more is is being the convincer. Right. And you don't want to be fear monger, but you want to give them legitimate, you know, bad scenarios. And yeah. uh, if you can get them to think rationally, then then you let them uh, make an informed decision, right? Then it, then well, it becomes part a, of the a problem risk. is then it becomes well, a but at first you have to get them to pay attention. Well, and I think people think that computers and the internet are like this magical thing, like they're only using their phone like listen everything after that it's just magic right it's just magic so when we try and explain these things they're like it dispels the magic they're like what do you mean bad things can happen no this is great i can go online and see the status of my car like that's magical and you're spoiling my magic yeah that's that's part of the problem but why should why why should they have to understand we're popping that balloon i agree with you paul but uh, you know you're right they why should they have to understand? Well, I think it's part of the problem is that when you try and explain to them the dangers, if they don't understand some of the, like, it's not all magic. Danger zone. It's it's all about the danger zone, Joff. That's. It is. It is. And it, it, it is like there's a lot of hand-waving. Like like you said, it's like, oh, this is so magical. This is awesome. Um, and uh, at, at that point, the brain shuts off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Mike, I, I want to ask you – five questions now you've listened <laughs> you've listened to the show before you said previously so you, yeah. you probably got a pretty good idea what these five questions are you might have even prepared for these five questions nope all right I so you, you oh. non non-prepared <laughs> five questions are you ready i'm ready okay three words to describe yourself uh active uh analytical and bald if you were a serial killer what would be your weapon of choice my mind if you wrote a book about yourself, what would the title be? Um, oh, God. Um, there you go. There's a title. That's a great title. Oh, oh God. God. Oh, oh God. Oh. <laughs> In the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? Second. Choose two celebrities to be your parents. Uh, Morgan Fairchild and John Lovitz. John Lovitz, I like that one. That's a good that's one. A, good. That is a good one. I like that. Excellent. And, Michael, so where are you teaching next, and what is your website and Twitter handle? Sure. So I'll be at uh, teaching at the Hackfest um, in Alexandria, Virginia, in November. Um, Sands.org has the information on that. And my website is webbreacher.com. That's W-E-B, Breacher. Um, and then my Twitter handle is webbreacher. Excellent. Actually, now you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash sans and land on the sans website. Securityweekly.com forward slash sans. Please do that. So thank you very much, Micah, for being on the show. It was wonderful having you. I hope to see you at a sans event uh, sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, everybody. Excellent. With that, we're going to take a short break, come back, and talk about the security news for this week. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. NetSparker, the developers of the only false positive-free web application security scanners, enabling you to automatically identify vulnerabilities and security flaws in all of your websites, web applications, and web services. NetSparker scanners are available in two editions, NetSparker Desktop and NetSparker Cloud, the enterprise online scanning service. For more information, visit their website at netsparker.com forward slash security weekly. 
Tenable Network Security, creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Jumpstart your security program today and evaluate Security Center CV, the continuous monitoring solution. For more information, visit them on the web at tenable.com. Black Hills Information Security, the leaders in penetration testing and active defense. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to request a quote today. Oh, welcome back, everyone. This is Security Weekly, the security news for the week. Before we get started, just a couple of quick announcements for y'all. Besides Tampa, this is a four-night cruise. The conference is full two days at sea with a stop in Cozumel, Mexico. Accepted talks receive a free cabin for two. So, uh, Jack, you and I, you and I should submit and share a cabin. That'd be. No. <laughs> I, John, anyone, I anyone want to submit to me and share a cabin? Um, I was, I was uh, actually at this year's. Besides Tampa, mm -hmm. when they announced those plans, and I was really psyched. To share a cabin um, with me? Until <laughs> <laughs> I looked at my calendar, and yeah. I will um, I will be uh, in uh, in lovely Huntsville, Alabama, ah, instead yes. of there. Um, but it, it sounds like a great Alabama, deal. And I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, people for years have talked about doing, you know, a, a security hacker con on a boat. And uh, a lot of us have talked about doing it, and I'm really glad somebody else is doing, doing it. it. Yep, uh, <laughs> and it, it's a good crew. So, uh, uh, Larry, imagine is, the uh, depth the depth of the con funk that will occur. Larry is teaching Sands six seventeen wireless ethical hacking and defense coming up in Las Vegas September fourteenth through the nineteenth, and the Pen Test Hack Fest in November in Washington and lots more places. Check out go to securityweekly.com forward slash Sands and check out more offerings from the Sands Institute. And now we're on to the security news for this week. Where do we want to get started? Oh, I know where we want. we have to start with John McAfee for president. John <laughs> yes. McAfee for president. We got to get shirts. As, as McAfee 2016. The only sane choice. That's what I wrote. I said he's the only sane choice. <laughs> <laughs> I was being a little fussy, but you know. Sane, insane. So the other, insane, the other insane. critically important. Uh, we love John. John's been on the show. Insane in the membrane. John has been on the show. It was a wonderful interview, and um, it was. And um, I like talking with John. I, I, the, the, I enjoy talking you, with you John. You've hung out with John too. I've hung yeah. out with him a few times. Um, I have a, a couple of visions in in my head of of President McAfee, um, and I find entertainment <laughs> in them as well as some other things. You know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think, you know, arguably, as we sit here drinking, um, and tonight was has not been a successful night for the cocktails, uh, but there's still booze. Um, better than my unsuccessful nights, put it that way. Your unsuccessful <laughs> nights are better than sometimes <laughs> than my successful nights. So. Um, John McAfee is also launching uh, <laughs> a, a line of uh, moonshine. Believe we'll we we well, may see that we've started to see some interesting tweets about <coughs> we got to get some of that some um, some McAfee moonshine and you know that sort of um, that sort of uh, entrepreneurship is uh, 
why McAfee is McAfee, mm-hmm. and it's it's what the country was built on, and uh, you know. You know, he McAfee does say 2016, you know, he does <laughs> say that he has a huge underground following on the Internet. And that, that's not an exaggeration. I no, mean, no, he has a huge following. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, one of the, I, I think we've said this before. It may, we may have come up on the podcast, but one of the things that uh, that, you know, he is he is a flawed character, as we all are. Some of his flaws may be a little bit more obvious to people than mm-hmm. others uh, than others of us. And. Others, but um, one of the things I really admire about him is that he's got the ability to recognize himself for who he is. Um, I, I was sitting in a bar with him, and I said, you know, I like you, but you're batshit crazy. And his answer was, yes, yes, I am. I mean, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, there's absolutely no, right. no... He's very transparent in that. It's just yeah, like, you know yeah, no, I I, it, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is who I am. Um, you know, un, unlike that Clinton dude, I'm sure that Mr. McAfee knows how to smoke a joint, understands you're supposed to inhale, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> or secure an email server. Um, uh, you, know, you know, Jack, Jack, I, I, I like the fact that he's raising um, the... The, the big issue, I think, that, that the people are not really noticing, and that is that privacy is completely dead. And the fact that he's put that front and center um, actually um, uh, gets me encouraged a little bit. It actually is going to bring some visibility to the issue. Whether, whether he is the candidate of choice in the end or not, well, did I even say that? What you know, it, it may, may or not be the case, but... But actually putting it on the map, I think, is, is, is a really big deal, especially for the, the generations below um, mine. Um, privacy is is something that people are not thinking about, and it's a big deal, a really big deal. So you know, I, I think some it, people it think about is. it, but they, they don't uh, act upon it or really change their behavior to in an effort to have more privacy, which in today's age just g- keeps getting more and more difficult. Right. Here's here's what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is that by putting it on the map, there's going to be a backlash of uh, uh, uneducated, ignorant uh, legislators doing the wrong things in response response to to making this a very very public uh, issue. And I hope that um, John McAfee's ready to engage those people because I really would like to see that level of engagement. That would be... Maybe not, in combination with the EFF and folks like that. Yeah, that would not awesome. that I. Um, I'm not saying I don't want to see him succeed. I'm not saying I do. I'm, I'm saying I like John. No, I like John. Yeah. I'm not saying he's the best presidential candidate, but he, he may be able to, um, in classic hacker tradition, provide needed disruption. Yes. Exactly. And on this yep. topic. And, you know, one of the things people are often dismissive of is paranoia, uh, of his privacy concerns and his paranoia. Uh, but I, I have spent some time with the man a couple of times. I've spent time with his security detail. Uh, we have mutual friends. Uh, I believe that he has some paranoid delusions. I also believe that there are people out to get him. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I know there are people. Now, whether they're trying to assassinate him all the time, I don't know about that, but there are people trying to to screw with John McAfee. Uh, There are people that do things to mess with him. 
um, whether there are any current. So it is, I mean, he speaks from a perspective of actually having his life disrupted. There are all sorts of things there. And I think that there's great potential, you know, classic hacker potential for mm -hmm. disruption, even if in the end um, he's dismissed, he can make it uncomfortable for people to ignore the, um, you know, erosion of privacy is overused, but to use, to ignore the abuse of privacy. Right. If nothing I think else, it's, if his I candidacy does, does that and raises awareness, I think it's a positive it, thing. It, exactly I, I, right, Paul. Exactly. I want exactly. to just switch gears really quick and talk about disclosure. Recently, there were zero-day vulnerabilities reported in Kaspersky and FireEye. And the way that these were disclosed wasn't necessarily, I don't know if I would call it the best way, the worst way. But what if you're disclosing zero-day vulnerabilities inside of products that people are using to help secure their environments say what you will about antivirus i'm sure john strand has some thoughts about that but when you <laughs> when you take a zero-day vulnerability for a product that people are using to detect bad things and you make it public the attackers are going to use those things to bypass those products is, is this a good thing is this a bad thing how do we responsibly go about well, disclosing these vulnerabilities is it detrimental to do disclosure for these vulnerabilities and security products that people are using so we had a, a Joff actually will probably know who this customer is. We had a number of customers where we found a vulnerability for a command and control out of a number of different firewall products um, over DNS. And we had communicated with a number of vendors directly, and they were very nice. They were very polite. They would listen to us, and they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got that taken care of. And the next test, we find the exact same thing, and then the exact same thing, and then the exact same thing. And about... Two months ago, one of our customers got very, very frustrated with it, and he basically said, well, we're going to release this publicly to MSISEC. And within 24, 48 hours, they had a couple of sales representatives, regional managers at the customer location begging the customer not to release this information, and they managed to get it fixed relatively quickly. Um, what was Josh Wright's law on this, Paul? He said something like, you know, how quickly a vendor will patch a vulnerability in a product is, is relative to whether or not there's a Metasploit module for it. Yeah. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with it, too. There's a lot of security researchers, a number of them at BHIS included, that get sick and tired of seeing the same damn vulnerability again and again and again and again, going through responsible disclosure. Nothing gets done. But as soon as it becomes even slightly possible of getting public, then they freak out and do something about it. And there's that term, Mike, security he researcher. The, oh, he used the other R word, <laughs> responsible <laughs> I hate the phrase responsible disclosure because responsible irresponsible <laughs> disclosure. Well, no, because responsible is traditionally used as a weapon against the researcher by an irresponsible vendor. It's it's a loaded term. Yeah. I know it's no. accepted. It's yeah. it's yeah. like me arguing about what hacker means, but I, it's or security well, researcher. So, John, here's another one that drives me nuts. Um, yeah. And related though, it's like, oh, that's fixed. No, it's not. No, we, we changed the configuration so customers can change that. Yeah. <laughs> no, right? that's not they fixed. Can now, yeah. They can now configure it away, but the defaults haven't changed. Um, it's like, no, that's wrong. That's the possibility of fixed. <laughs> First of all, even making the default right and allowing them to screw up, uh, you probably need a good yeah, excuse for. Right, but yeah, if, in the case of something like, by default, when you turn on wireless, we use WPA to pre-shared key, 
because assuming you have a radius server is a bad idea, even though that's what you should do, right? But the idea of defaulting to open or WEP is is not good, right? I, I'll give you, maybe you have, you know, you do need to offer open and WEP and whatever, but you need to default to secure. But yes, I, I have seen the, oh, you can now configure that problem away, but we're not going to change any settings or push that out in an update because it might break something. And then uh, support would get a phone call. Now, go, go, going yeah. back to the story, have, uh, in, in this specific case, one of them was, hey, let me release this on a Friday night. Hey, here's the O-Day. No, I have not talked with the vendor. No, I didn't give any heads up to the vendor. I'm just putting it out there. Here's the O-Day. The other one, yes, I work on one or two with the vendor. Oh, here's the rest of the bones. Pay me $10,000 per bone, and I'll give you the bone, which in my case, that is blackmail. Um, yep. They don't fit what you guys are talking about to a certain degree. One of them didn't just didn't even give the vendor the chance of going like, "Hey, here's the bone. Try to fix it." Oh, you you were an asshole. Okay, now let me put it out. No, they didn't even give him the chance to be an asshole That's or be responsible. Disclosure. Irresponsible. Yeah. Disclosure. So so we have one case where it was. You can argue responsible. He didn't put out the proof of concept. You say, "Hey, here's the vulnerability." Hey, look, I got code execution. I don't know if he actually sent it over to Kaspersky or not. And in the but other that case... Wasn't, that wasn't... Which one was Tavis? Tavis was FireEye? Tavis Romano? No, Kaspersky. He was Kaspersky. So he just yeah. released it. Yeah. Oh, he just released it and without giving it to Kaspersky? So or it, Tavis has, has done it, things... He's, yeah. He's which got have a track record of doing weird disclosure things. However, yeah. I've had conversations in the past few years where I have a much greater understanding and borderline empathy for Tavis's impatience. Mm -hmm. um, unlike a lot of other people, Tavis has, well, first of all, I don't think anyone can argue that he's brilliant, right? No, no. Um, I, I think that uh, he has in my opinion, he's been screwed over by vendors large and small so many times that his patience has uh, worn thin. Um, you know, I won't mention any specific company names, but I've had <coughs> conversations uh, that yes. have the previous things have led to him saying, "I'm just going to release like, it." It's like, oh, knowing that, um, I still am concerned for the. Impact on on end users, but yeah. So I, and, I'm and still, how about I'm the one? I'm still uncomfortable with some of what he's done, but I have a lot more, if not sympathy, empathy for yeah. what he's. And that's very specific to Tavis because this guy breaks shit. Now you know sometimes you can argue there's motivation. You know he had an argument with Sophos. But the bugs he found with Sophos were real, right? And they were embarrassing, right? So others that don't have years, decade plus of track record of being screwed by vendors, mm -hmm. large and small, um, g give folks the benefit of the doubt until you've been burned as many times as, as Tavis. Um, like I said, not... Not that Tavis doesn't still frustrate me, but I have a lot more empathy for his situation than folks who haven't spent 
a decade at least doing these things mm -hmm. and having frustrations. Um, and you how realize about that's a level of nuance, Jack, Mike, that does Mike, not scare. quiet. I want, I want to hear Mike. Yeah, I'm, it just, I find the whole thing absolutely fascinating to me. It's, we, there's a lot of inside baseball there that I, I didn't know any of that until you just said it. And I'm not sure how much of it matters. It, it, it's, um, well, so you, I mean, you guys, like, does it matter? You, you, does it matter if you, I you guys it can before? guess one of the companies that, that has screwed Tavis over while trying to work with them simultaneously? We've had people from that sure. company on. You know who it is. It's the largest software distributor yeah. in the yeah. world, right? Yeah. And there have been teams work actively working against him there while other people were actively working for him. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and that doesn't excuse anybody's behavior, but I have, like I said, I have empathy for that when you're in there and people that yeah. are, you know, that ha that are or were at Microsoft have have given me perspective on that. And yes, that's a level of nuance that outside of this audience mm -hmm. and and this, you know, because I assume that the folks that are that are listening, I know that most people listening understand some level of nuance and have these frustrations on different scales themselves. Um, I had it on the last past Tuesday, uh, on the last, in the past Tuesday before the last one. Yeah. Well, and then, <laughs> well, then we have situations where it was reported that GM took five years to fix a critical vulnerability. Well, one yeah, that I would deem as critical, a full takeover uh, on millions wait, of OnStar <clears throat> cars. Five so, years. So wait. Five Go years. Go ahead and try to act surprised in about a software vulnerability <laughs> in light of the ignition key vulnerability, the ignition switch vulnerability. You know, I, coincidentally enough, my, oh. my, my nine-year-old GM vehicle has an active recall. It got affected. I brought in my recall notice and they said, yep, you got to pay us 500 bucks to fix it. And ah. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a recall. I'm totally baffled by this. The answer is, well, we haven't solved it yet. So you got to pay us, but you know, wink, wink, we'll pay you back. We promise. And I couldn't get anybody to put that in writing. So this is, this is the one time when, uh, you're not going to get me to defend GM for even a second here. Screw them. Wow. Well, okay. So wait a minute, but, but we have to reconcile these two things, right? On one side, you have vendors that just don't pa bother patching things forever. And then on the other side, you got a security researcher that's been around the block a number of times who's just gotten to the point where he says, screw it. I'm just going to release it publicly. So we can easily say that the answer is somewhere in between. Where is that? Because I will, uh, I will speak from experience. Trying to do any type of disclosure to a company is an absolute freaking nightmare if yeah. you try to follow quote-unquote responsible disclosure. They want your oh, yeah. lawyers to sign an NDA. And as soon as your lawyers want you to sign an NDA, and as soon as you sign an NDA, many corporate attorneys think the problem is gone because yeah, they're not I, worried know, about it being And, and this is this – is, we should bring this back. I know we made an attempt before. This is where <laughs> I think, and this is personal opinion, I think that the various bug programs, bug bounty programs, mm -hmm. and managed bug hunt programs, whether you call them a bounties or other things, uh, have an opportunity to to help because there's a broker. You know, in past, yes, in yep. the yeah, past, there, be there have been things. The brokers have been. Well, let you know, me let's, use a different let's word. Let's get in a Wayback Machine and go to Wabi Sabi Lobby and, you know, the, selling these things. On th what if we have somebody that is experienced with. Wow, Wabi Sabi Lobby. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, where did, 
that took me back, dude. God. There's a sweeper about that somewhere in the archives of the show. Too. Right, so selling Wabi Lobby, Wabi Sabi Lobby. lobby. There was know. a sweeper where we said it wrong like eight times. <laughs> I said Wabi Sabi Lobby, Wabi Sabi Lobby, whatever. Sloppy yeah. the sloppy, sloppy lobby. lobby. Look up Sloppy Lobby on Encyclopedia <laughs> Dramatic. <laughs> But you it's know, there's like there's got to be sloppy. you know a way, and whether it's reporting it to a cert well, or whether yeah, it's no, we'll think about this though. Let, let's let's stay on that path. We said the word broker. Broker's interesting. Let's use a different word. Arbiter. You know, the, the time you guys got me all riled up on this, or I got myself riled up, or whatever okay, it was. You're self-riling. You know, Probably the, yourself. The, the thing. Well, but the thing you're I like took away from it. Just, in fact, I, I I have a new a new layer tonight. Um, I'll just say that that there's. Uh, I, I figured out one of the things that we're missing when we use the term security researcher, and it's there's no ethical canons. Uh, that that we uh, widely uh, agree to. So if you're pissed off don't at a company, yeah, go nuts. Call it, call it research. No, no, please don't. No, Jack, no, that's not right, the direction CEH, I'm going. Right? Oh, Jack, no, let's go out of the security industry and look at what other people do, it, which goes back to then there's some sort of a governance process. There's an arbiter of it, and um, I don't want that to be the government. So then what is the – what's the option? Because you know what, Jack? You've got some of that inside baseball knowledge uh, or some of that nuance. So obviously I recommend you for whatever council gets formed up. But you know what? You're right. You've got, you've got the bug bounty programs. You have – software vendors that that I think have a stake in it, whether we like them or not. Um, and then we have folks that are independent, folks that are working for corporations. There's There needs to be some way to collectively come together so that somebody who has, they discover something, uh, there, there's a way to vet it, there's a way to handle it. And there's somebody, there's almost like, um, I don't want to use the, the uh, analogy of a jury, but there's some sort of a process where you have the different interests that get a chance to vet it out at some way. And, and help. Sorry, my head just Fair exploded. Enough. Well, I mean, I, look, the way that we're doing it is uh, is is not workable, and it's not healthy. This no, is no. going to degrade faster than we think. No, no, no. But, but so it, it hasn't changed much. You know, if I could see some type of point where it's degrading or it's improving, I, I would agree with you. You know, the, the call to action that we have to do something. But this is the way the game's been played for about 10 years. And the pendulum goes back and forth. Organizations get all bent out of shape like Oracle did a couple of weeks ago. Um, and then whenever he released this vulnerability, you know, Kaspersky basically came out rather than being like, ah, we're all mad. Um, they said, we would like to thank uh, Tavis for reporting us to a buffer overflow vulnerability, which our specialists fixed, within 24 hours. And his main point about this was he released it publicly and it was fixed in 24 hours. Can we have arbiters? Can we have panels? Can we have people get together to discuss this stuff and have it fixed within 24 hours under a quote-unquote responsible disclosure? Probably not. I'm not saying, hey, we should do full disclosure on absolutely everything, but you have to admit that if you go the full disclosure route, that it always gets fixed faster than it does if you try to do a quote-unquote responsible disclosure path. Oh, you know what? I'm going to stipulate. Years, for the past 10 years, we've talked about vulnerabilities, and what John said has always been true. And I'm not saying that's the. That's. We, sh we need to go over the next 10 years with that same. Well, mantra. look, I, Something needs I, to change. I, I defer to your expertise. Look, John and I haven't really had this conversation. So when I, when I get to these, I, I, I'm interested in finding workable solutions. I don't understand all the nuances to it sometimes. So that's actually some, some really good stuff. Here's the thing I stipulate with it, though. And it's the same thing. I, I don't want to be caught defending GM in any way. But 
you know, there's somebody who has a broader field of view and ostensibly they're prioritizing where limited resources go in order to fix things. So if, if a company fixes something in 24 hours, that's great, I guess. But the question is, was that the best use of the resources? Was it prioritized correctly? Or did that create a cascading problem someplace else? When it's a company, a security company fixing a bug in 24 hours, eh, it probably is great. A uh, car company, five years, I don't know, it feels long to me. So they're, they're, I, I, all I like to point out in, in this stuff sometimes is that when we force somebody's hand, the, we pride ourselves on a result, but that result may not have been optimal and it may not have been the best choice. It's just well, the choice that they got forced into. Well, I think that throughout history, if we try and draw some analogies, you know, calling someone's baby ugly and finding a vulnerability is always a difficult thing. Yeah. Like, sure. You know, it, when it, they go to the NFL and say, you know, there's a concussion problem. Like their first reaction is there's no problem. When you go to the car industry and say, Jack, there's some safety there, problem. Right. When you and go to as, the cigarette as industry I and say cigarettes are bad for you. Sooner right? or later, every time we talk about cars, it <laughs> comes back to one of the things that everyone needs to understand is that the auto industry puts a dollar value on human life in a way that is only rivaled by companies that do life insurance, right? I mean, it's yeah. that. No, it's, but it's a similar thing to that. And, and you can't be an auto. Talk about cars. Right. You yeah, but that's like be, an econ. That's but that's you can't be econ tool one. Right, but you can't be in the auto industry and not do that, right? You, I mean, it's the nature of one of the most deadly creations of mankind. Um, you know, it, it pops people off in small numbers, but the aggregate number is pretty fucking impressive compared to, you know, weapons no, it's of mass still, destruction. No, it's still be a pretty likely. Right, you know. Yeah. Um, it, and that's the what it takes. So, yeah, and Michael, you're, you're right. Um, and as everybody knows, and I make clear, I have no sympathy for... <laughs> it just burn just fucking burn no no but so the, the point the point you guys are trying to make i think is that we're that trying to make the, a point yeah <laughs> well i think you are oh jesus are. we must be drunk maybe i'm extrapolating a little bit too much here but but i think the extrapolation is that that it's always going to be weighed against the uh, the overall financial impact of the company and if that security risk or that vulnerability is is a very minor financial impact to the company they're not going to really pay attention to it or I mean, they're going to say, impacts, well, if it has big impacts in their bottom line, they're going to try and bury it. Is all? Yeah. So, well, so hold on. There's, right? two, there's two. On, there's two nuances, though, right? The first of which is we're suggesting that the impact can be properly calculated and expressed, and I, that's a that's a, a challenge worry. in and of itself. Big. And the other thing we're looking at too is that that's that's predicated on people making effective decisions in organizations. I think history suggests that's a little elusive too, but that would further presume that we have good, accurate information in context. Jack, you started the show earlier talking about the importance of stories and telling the right story. Yeah. Uh, so it, when when I say things like that, I'm not actually suggesting that otherwise the company would have made a, a prime decision in a, a, a good time frame or anything else. All I'm saying is I think that as an industry, we would be benefited to step back from time to time and say, okay, we have a very narrow field of view. We, we pretend it's the big field of view, but we, we, for the most part, have a pretty narrow field of view. And sometimes we just need to step back a little bit, take a gander, consider how other people have solved things like this, and then head back into it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. well, that was actually partially my point, Michael, that you just you reinforced, that, that we have a specific narrow uh, entity in the overall picture 
and it's going to be assessed against the global context rather than just the context in which we consider it important and and that's that's the overall issue that we got we've got to we got to deal with uh yes. where did paul go i missed i got a yeah. I, I got I got a quote, and not trying to win or anything, but I think that this <laughs> quote is interesting. John wins. Um, no. So yeah, you so, win. You find a quote. You so, win. but <laughs> this is uh, this is for the uh, FireEye stuff, and I'm, I'm reading this because I, I think it opens up another interesting conversation avenue uh, to kind of move it a little bit. Um, so this goes with Eric Hermanison's uh, FireEye vulnerabilities that he discovered, and he was working with Ron uh, Paris. And they said that they found 32 vulnerabilities in FireEye's product uh, with multiple root, remote root issues. And he said, I tried for 18 months to work with FireEye through the responsible channels, and they balked every time. These issues need to be released because the platforms are wrought with vulnerabilities and the community needs to know. Especially these are government-approved safe harbor devices with glaring remote root vulnerabilities. And then he came so far as to say, no one should be trusting these devices on their network if FireEye can't be bothered to fix these problems. Now, moving away from the responsible disclosure thing, I, I got to say, that is a lot of vulnerabilities found by a couple of security researchers, especially in the day of uh, you know structured exception handling, address-based layout randomization, data execution prevention. I, I would just like to throw this out there to you guys. What the hell is going on? I mean, we usually don't see vulnerability counts that high in modern, very heavily used security products. Is it just that there's a lot of old code under the hood? Uh, I'm kind of is throwing this to Carlos's consum- way. But is it because yeah. the consumers aren't looking for that? The consumers are buying products such – I hate to single out FireEye, but they're buying products because of the problems they solve without necessarily looking for any problems that they might introduce. It's not the mindset that we have today. There's another story in there, and actually this is actually a good segue, where Windows 10 has a lot more security features. And the headline of the article read – Will new security features on Windows win users over? Did it take 15 years? So Windows is chip and pin. Awesome. Chip and pin. Did it take 15 years to make security, like a security part of the purchase decision now? Do people want to buy Windows? Do they want to upgrade to Windows 10 because there's security in it? No. No. No, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. End users, maybe Here's, not, but do corporations say no? Because corporations—they're already on Windows. They don't. Corporations are on Windows Seven, and they're not going to go to Ten because there's more security features. So it's I, no I, part I of would, the. I would love their. Yeah, they're going to go to Ten for a lot of reasons. There's two things: purchase and upgrade so are two different things. First of all, I, I got into this discussion last night at an. Well, Windows Ten has to. All work right, one before. of the things that's really wrong with this industry. Yes, Rick. Why the crank? Why the crank? One of the things that's Both really drink. wrong with this industry, <laughs> especially it's once great. you get to a point where you are able to share, is that you can't fucking share. Because you go to NDA events and spend hours within looking under the hood of shit. And it was, but um, there was a conversation last night where somebody talked about Microsoft technologies and and how irrelevant they were because he worked exclusively in the startup world where nobody uses anything but Macs. Wait, oh, wait, wait. So wait. he immediately how stood up could, and and I said that's really significant if you live in that world. However, more people use Windows 10 
than the current release of OS X. Yep. And so not there all, were not people. All OS X combined. You mean OS X Yosemite? The, no, 10. no, the, the one before, the most widely deployed. Anyway, oh, okay. But yeah, it's it's. Um, Carlos, do you remember the exact numbers? I know you saw, but Windows 10 adoption is extremely high for it, and it's because it's free. Right. So right. I'm running Windows 10. Um, I can in, le in less than one month, it was 75 million uh, but it's activations. Free. It got people, it got people wow. off of Windows 8, 8, 1, 7, 8, and 8, 1. Um, well, Windows 8, people were itching to get off that to get at anything So, else. So Windows 10 is wonderful if you were on Windows 8 and mm -hmm. suffered through the horror of that. And then Windows 8.1 made you think, well, oh, if that. I have to, I can live with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you move to 10. With the exception of on laptops, touchscreen devices, I was programmed to slide this thingy over. And then I had this list of you wireless access points. Right. And... I would touch the one I wanted to join, and now when I slide it over, it tells me about fucking Outlook, which does me no fucking good until I can connect to the fucking wireless. Because you, because you were one of the minority that got used to Windows 8. Yeah, I was one of the minority oh, man, that used 8, and, 8 1 and actually tried to learn the thing. Um, we just have, I'm just envisioning yeah, but, a montage but, but of Jack say, Daniel you, video. Jack Daniel on Windows 10. Fucking slider with the fucking Outlook. <laughs> but I have to, I've been so, playing with device so yes, card. Microsoft, thank card. you so much <laughs> for making instantly available obsolete email information <sighs> instead of relevant wireless information. Well, it's more uh, secure because you're not connected to any wireless networks. This this is true, and it's uh, but the thing is, it's an Apple it's it's an Apple kind of thing, to say you want the latest and greatest, and to be secure, and to have your workflow shattered, you buy you buy or get free the new shit. Oh, you you like your existing workflow? I guess you get to be insecure. Fuck you, right? Um, no, right? I, I, and, and it's, at least I mean, it's Microsoft not just that you know Microsoft doesn't just steal from Apple. I mean. The um the the, the WWDC, new tablet, the, yeah. the WWDC yesterday announced the <laughs> surface, the, I the surface, Apple Surface, yeah, right? The iSurface. Surface. Yes. Um, it's like although, Every, all of a sudden everyone's like, "Oh, I want a bigger tablet with a keyboard now," and with a stylus. Although, oh no, although, with a stylus. Wait, I tablets have I stylus? Oh my god! I hope for the sake of Apple <laughs> users. That that keyboard is not the steaming pile of crap that Surface keyboards are. <laughs> Just I, I share that same joke. hope, Jack. <laughs> For, if yeah. you're a road warrior and try to use devices on your lap or sprawled on your fat gut in your hotel room while you're trying hey, to sleep hey, because hey. you're in the wrong... Just, I defy you to try that with a Surface laptop of any sort. Well, I can tell you, the I've Apple keyboard will to, look better than the I, Surface I, I have... I have used my iPad Bluetooth uh, keyboard with my Surface so that I had a keyboard that I could set over here when, you know, passed out trying to make do with three hours of sleep a week or whatever the hell when you get into full road warrior mode. So if I go Windows, I go the XPS 13 from Dell. That's, that's a nice machine. I, I, uh, <laughs> I am extremely fond of my Yoga 2. 
Um, this has replaced. <clears throat> I have a yoga at home, for instance. Pretty cool. now, uh, now, Jack. One of the um, even though I use I'm right now on a Mac and I use a Mac and also I have a Linux box here and I have a Windows box here. Um, one of the things I actually hate from Apple is that they're so secretive. They won't share information. They're closed lip. They won't work with the researcher in any way, shape, or form. While in the case of, let's say, Microsoft, yeah, one group may screw you, the other may work with you, but at least you have a conversation back and forth to a certain degree, certain level. In the case of <laughs> Apple, you don't get that. The, uh, their sustainability comes out, hey, here's sustainability. Yes, it's being exploited. Apple, do you have any comment? No. Are you working on fixing this? No comment. Complete radio silence. Microsoft will at least say, we're working on a patch. We'll probably do an out of band. Oh, just wait for the next patch Tuesday. And you get some feedback back. You, you, you get that back and forth. With Apple, you don't get that. That's one of the problems that they, have at, that they haven't fixed. Yes, iOS is more secure than Android. Uh, but, God, at least have a, a, a bit of courtesy. That's what I'm expecting from Apple. Now that security and um, privacy are the spiel for selling stuff. And I also want to say to the security industry, Jack may have many problems with you, but I personally love you just the way you are. Don't change. <laughs> nice, John. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I just to clarify, I love this chaos. I mean, all of this boils just down to, to clarify I've my kind position. Of, You're sitting down, you, Jack. We can tell that. I, I love you all, but fuck you all, right? <laughs> we, we, yeah. are, we are all broken. Right? Oh, yeah. And we uh, all I embrace that. Human beings. <laughs> um, uh, I, I hate the I Jack Daniel on relationships. Choose. I love you all, but fuck you all. <laughs> you know what? I should just quit it's there. Like Jack Handy's <laughs> No, no, no. Like keep going. Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. This is deep thoughts deep with Jack thoughts. Daniel. Jack Handy. <laughs> and just just two Jack. weeks ago, weren't we singing Kumbaya and holding hands with Jack? Oh, that was just a fleeting moment. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> that was a drug-induced. You inspired me to write, a, All right, write an so article a, about a, it a and everything, of, Jack. Right, a couple of you know what induced that. So anyway, um, yeah, and news. and I corrected within the first story in the news that yes, night. Yes, you overcompensated. I overcompensated. Yes. I, I left the pump on too long. I mean, um, <laughs> I went out and bought a cigarette boat and a big truck. No, I. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wow. Um, so <laughs> Yahoo refuses to fix an emoticon exploit in Messenger. I thought this was kind of funny. There's an exploit that if you install custom emoticons in Yahoo Messenger. <laughs> I'm trying to say this with a straight face, Jack. All right. Look that way. I'll look this way. <laughs> so if you put custom emoticons in your Yahoo Messenger, there is a vulnerability. And Yahoo refuses to fix it because... The product is end of life. I and say, I know that hey, all of us love it. And because the three people using it are on Windows 10 and thus secure. And the one uh, person okay. who uses it who likes to install <laughs> custom emoticons. Don't you install custom emoticons in whatever instant messaging app you're using? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, no, all right. I'm need, done. I'm closing need... the laptop. I I got a rant. 
Listen, so if you're a Jack Daniel emoticon, I need a Jack, like, Jack Daniel emoticon. What's your response to that? It would be very similar to the Lewis Black emoticon, which looks very similar to a Massachusetts driver emoticon. Um, uh, uh, You know. I, the, other day I was, the other day, I was cutting a lot of meat for the grill. I almost cut off one of my middle fingers, and I was terrified because I would have to turn into my Massachusetts driver's license. <laughs> All righty. Well, moving on to the next. Uh, so, ten things to do before you lose your laptop. Um, I boiled this down to really just two things. Still booze in it. Um, I said really just two things. One. Encrypt your hard drive, and two, never lose your laptop. <laughs> I and flip three, the, I if flip there's the any order, questions, yes. refer, refer <laughs> to one or two. But to your point, two. And encrypt your backup. Yeah, I was going to say, Carlos is right on the money. To, Back to your point, up. two, I, I <laughs> was your in this meeting last night that had a variety of experts in a variety of fields. And... Uh, I was doing a porn chat room. I was <laughs> in a variety of different technology verticals. Um, he said, and I was asked for almost three straight hours if I was leaving. Verticals, horizontals, horizontals. Yeah, I was asked for almost three straight <clears throat> hours if I was leaving, and that was because you you all know this one, right? Because you've you've been in this weird situation. I had my backpack on because my laptop's in my backpack. Mm-hmm. And I had one phone in my pocket, but since I split phones between work, and which I treat very carefully, and personal, which I treat less carefully. So, like, I had phone and I had sensitive things in my laptop and backpack and mm-hmm. phone. And then I had a phone in my pocket. And so I don't put in a room full of people I trust. I don't put my backpack down and walk away from it. Right. The rest of these technology professionals were like, oh, you're on your way out? I was like, no, no. And finally, I had to start saying, oh, see, I'm a security guy. We we don't leave, we our, don't leave our laptops. We don't leave our laptops. We'll, we'll leave tem- team members behind, but we won't leave our laptops. <laughs> <laughs> leave Fuck no the te- equipment Fuck behind. the team, but I'm not <laughs> my leaving laptop. my laptop. <laughs> uh, so, yes. <laughs> Don't lose it, but it's encrypted. Dude, that, when to you me, do. that is the most nerve-wracking thing about going through TSA is the time that I have to spend yep. without oh, my oh, laptop yeah. being You're within reach of my hand. Yeah. yeah. I, I, when I you learn so that, that TSA collects 10,000 laptops a week that get abandoned at a, a checkpoint. Uh, 10,000 a week. <laughs> How? I, don't is, even, I can't even who, begin to understand Who has that. had a TSA agent yell at you as you walk away yep. trying to Been give there. you somebody else's laptop? That yeah. hasn't happened to me. Done that. Yeah, that doesn't, I must not that. travel from the cool airports. Yeah, because it's. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, it only happens to me when I travel with more than one laptop. <laughs> and... <laughs> I have. Jack's that guy. You have any laptops to declare? I got this one. I got. Hey, hey, and you guys hold have another bag? I got a little bit of my pocket. Young stacks. Young stacks. Five laptops. And the TSA pre-lane is closed. You know, so you, you pull the laptops out. But it, it's I, I've had it happen a few times. You're like, oh, you forgot one of your laptops. Because once you're more than one, you're one of those people. Right? Mm-hmm. 
You're um, one of those people. But no, no, Have you ever had TSA cards separate you Why from you... your laptop? Oh, a lot. Yeah, and they get really uh, mad. Yeah. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I am not leaving my I'm not so I'm I've had this conversation your life, right? I've had this conversation <coughs> which I love is... when they ask, Why do you need Go ahead, John. Why do you need so many? I I love the question they ask. Why do you need so many? Just say because I like taking out multiple laptops when I go through TSA. So, yeah, just I, to piss you off. I have challenged them yeah. that I am out of sight of my belongings. And they're like, that's okay. That's policy. No. And I say, first of all. It's not my policy. If I can have <laughs> access to my bag, I will show you the printout of your latest directive leaked to the Internet. But more importantly, if you will listen for a moment to the PA system, the lady in the air is telling me that I should never lose contact. She doesn't say I should trust the TSA. She says I should never allow my property out of my possession. Right. And they're like, Arr! and uh, I, I'm not saying it was a factor in acquiring my. Yeah, what bag, is this now? This is but like I have a pelican, dude. I have a pelican like, backpack that I can jam a padlock like, on the laptop section. Wow, can, that is badass. That is, it is boss. not the most comfortable laptop. My 15-year-old, I don't know who made it originally, but it has a pelican case. Now, I wouldn't go more than you know a couple feet underwater for more than a minute or two, uh, but it's... It, it has two key functions. It's got a r very rugged storage facility. The front storage pocket even has some. Like the front storage pocket has a cage for your tablet, but then it's got this huge cavern for clothing. So it's my, but it lets me. Really? Ladies underwear? Yeah. Really? Okay. <laughs> hey, you feel pretty. I'm not judging. Hey, I'm not Listen, judging. All right. You do what you want to feel pretty. <laughs> I do what I want to feel pretty. Dude, that's awesome. I like it. That, that's very impressive. It's you know it's 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 ugly, but oh yeah, and Dude, it's, it's, like you could mess and, someone up with that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I I have given no doubles thought. as a weapon. <laughs> I have given no thought to the stability of this handle and the mass of this thing yes. with a lightweight laptop as a weapon <laughs> hasn't even occurred to me. Because um, cool. front and back is padded, but if you caught the side of that thing, you'd go down fucking not, hard. Not it's not very comfortable though. Actually, uh, it will be once these pads break into my. Yeah. It's actually pretty good, and because there's this big open space, it breathes. A it little? breathes mm. better than most. Yep. But these are stupid expensive. However, the last time I what's bought what's stupid a expensive? A couple hundred bucks if you find them right. That's nah, not stupid. It's expensive. not. It's it's a couple hundred bucks. Bags for, for us to travel as much as we do. Oh wait! Oh, you well got money it. to burn? Have you been That's like burning hundred dollars? No, like Jobs and John will no, have no. a couple of those because no, they no. just have money <laughs> money to burn. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so th no, that's just gives budget that for beer and computers. Th that's this right. gives me uh, beer in computers or beer and computers? <laughs> beer and, and. Uh, okay, and. all right. <laughs> okay. So I, I have to say this like every couple of months. Uh, I have to say this every couple of months. So we blather on, but there's like other stuff that Paul and sometimes me and others have put in for news stories. If you're trying to keep up, like take a look at stories for the week because there's stuff. This stuff, yeah. There's, there's like security there's news in there. We're just talking. News we're just talking about bags now. Right. We're talking about bags. It, it, <laughs> so anyway, this is not the most rugged thing, but it'll you know it'll hold a 15 inch ultra book or it, they claim a 17 inch Apple thing. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's like um, it's like buying Tumi or Pelican gear. For most people, it's dumb to spend that much money. Right. <coughs> However, for some people, it it's great. I have a Tumi bag. I spent too many Marriott points on or whatever. But holy crap, it's like a TARDIS. It's a little tiny thing. I can put more shit in it than mm-hmm. fucking mm-hmm. belongs there. But if you don't travel, don't waste the money. Pelican. Don't travel in Pelican. Man, you, you're out. You're overweight before you know it, right? Yeah. The, 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 car- the uh, checked baggage size big pelican is like eight, I forget, it's like 18 or 19 pounds empty. So you right. hit 50 pounds, boom. Oh. However. I, you know, Jack, you've probably experienced this, but uh, in the U.S., the overweight thing, not as much of a big deal, right? You get outside the U.S., oh, oh my shit. God, they will bang you on overweight. You're finished. <laughs> so... So the road warriors among the audience will appreciate this one, where you carry the the scales so you know when you're getting overweight, and you have your 83-pound backpack so that your bag is 49.86 ounces. <laughs> I mean, 49.86 pounds, right? So you don't get <laughs> stiffed on the fee. And then you have the classic American scale, which says it weighs 41 pounds, because they, they don't want to have the argument, right? So they dial it way down. I'm like, wait, can I – Take ten pounds out of this piece of shit. Oh my Can't god! Wait. I got nine pounds of gear I want to put in there. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I mean, you know, if you're overweight, they always give you the opportunity to take stuff, stuff out. out. But right. but that thing's on the belt, zipping away to be sodomized by the baggage savages. <laughs> <laughs> Before you know it, if it's underweight. <laughs> Why does your travel backpack has a frame? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's- impressive dude <laughs> Why you, yeah and, and the other thing about this four road where is is you can't see it but this that's a 25 liter pocket yes yeah. so yeah. i can you can I put could, a lot of booze in there i could put i line it with plastic i can make a gigantic cocktail and it gets me through no my no, no you gotta do it three ounces at a time fitting in a one quarter right. right. <laughs> you know, like, well, you can get yeah. the three liter bags then why, why are why are all these back. nip bottles labeled shampoo and conditioner yeah <laughs> 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 It's a oh, little dip of Jack Daniels. Dude, that's my own brand of conditioner. Yeah, conditioner. What are you t- Look at my beard. Yeah, I got my I, own I, beard, uh, which I, reminds me. beard oil. After the show, we need to talk about shampoo. Uh, yeah, are we talking about <laughs> information we're security not streaming on the show? <laughs> okay. I have a shampoo story. I think we, we're not talking about security anymore. Yeah, is there any security conversation in this? <laughs> no, nah, man. Take the curious. shampoo it's bottle like a dog and your leg. save it for after the show. Let it go. Okay. So hey John, so, hey, hey um, John, it's great having you on the show. Even yeah. though we don't let you talk as much this as we was, should. Uh, this was fun. I think. Oh, that's um, cool. You probably you probably shouldn't, to be honest. So, <laughs> um, so no. John, <laughs> I'm sorry. We should. Just, um, I'm we just sitting have... here wondering. Okay, I want to ask about the cocktails. What do you guys have for cocktails this week? Um, you bitched about the cocktails, but you didn't. You didn't say what you're drinking. Some, and I would say that your opinion for cocktails has I have probably an empty changed. Glass. So, so there was, was in here? Um, that was uh, uh, Manhattan. Manhattan. Excuse me, Manhattan like Manhattan. <laughs> 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 Manhattan like drink, uh, but we didn't have enough sweet vermouth, and we didn't have. It was still good though. It, it was it was a little drier than I would normally do a Manhattan. Um, I did a Pim's cup, but 
I should have not Is that used lemonade in Pims. Yeah, lemonade, ginger ale, iced tea, whatever you you want. Gotcha. Um, I made the mistake of just emptying the remains of a bottle of lemonade that I opened last week to make uh, drinks. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't in the refrigerator, Jack. And you and you're wondering why it didn't turn out. Uh, also, the Pims. Hasn't What's the been mixture in the on the Pims cup? One one part Pims, two parts lemonade. It's whatever. It, it's all over the place. Gotcha. I I like it a, a lot of Pims because it's low alcohol. It's not a high alcohol. So you could do half and half. So it would probably be part of the problem is probably that Pims has not been refrigerated. Um, uh, whatever you know, it's uh, whatever. Do you shake it or stir it? Stir. Stir. Gotcha. I'm gonna make that next. All right. So we're John, we you got a webcast, uh, sacred cash cow AV bypass stuff. Is that that's not tomorrow, right? That dude, that is absolutely tomorrow. That We've tomorrow. already got about 650 people registered. It's gonna wow. be really really fun. Uh, nice. So two quick things. One, we actually had listeners submitting how to bypass different AV engines. So we had users, oh, uh, listeners awesome. submit for Sophos. We had listeners submit for Webroot, and that's great. The, the thing that I'm really excited about is uh, AV Apocalypse. Uh, there's some researchers out of Brazil, we'll talk about this, that have found a way for almost all the major AV engines to basically attack themselves. It's an autoimmune attack against the system. So you can basically spread files throughout the system, or rather uh, insert code into files, and the AV engine will literally start killing the individual <laughs> system. We'll talk about oh that. My God, that's awesome. um, we'll talk about... Uh, Joff, what was it? Uh, the the stuff from Steve Sims, the one no op instruction. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Disassembled. Uh, assembly ghost. <laughs> yeah, so, assembly go ghost writing on payloads. Uh, no op instruction modification and template modification. Uh, yeah, total game over. So. Hey, John, stuff. you said you you have a tech segment for so, next week. I do next week if I can get on the show quick enough. I'm going to be teaching at Sands Las Vegas with uh, with Larry, but I'm hoping to try to jump on. Um, if not, it'll be the week after. I want to talk about BetterCap, which is uh, kind of a, a, a really easy-to-use Ruby framework utility for replacing EtherCap, which, as you know, the guys behind EtherCap have been a little bit busy the past couple of months doing <clears throat> other things. Um, but, uh, but no, BetterCap is really cool. It's very, very simple to use. You get on a wireless network, you fire it up, and a lot of the EtherCap functions just start. It's configurable. I am not exactly happy that it's written in Ruby, but uh, all things told, it's a great framework, and we'll be talking about that here the week after. Sweet. Well, thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks to all of the illustrious hosts on the show tonight uh, for helping us. Uh, thanks to Micah for coming on the show. And we'll see everyone next week. Don't forget October 16th, 10-year anniversary. Over and out.